0: So we are going to continue our series, Glory and Redemption, as we see the glory of God and his plan for mankind's redemption in the Old Testament. And so if you've got your Bibles, you can start to just opening up to Genesis chapter 37. Uh, some of you who usually use the uh, UVersion Bible app for your sermon notes, I'm sorry, I didn't get to it because the internet was out at the church and at my home until about 10.30 last night. And so, not only that, you don't have internet here anyway, so there's a good chance you won't be able to download it. So, the event is not complete. It's there, but it just includes the intro slide. So, um, you may have to grab a physical Bible, or just open up and follow along. We're going to be covering a lot of territory today. Uh, The whole life of Joseph, and if you have been in Sunday school or watched The Prince of Egypt... Um, You know sort of who Joseph is. Now we get to Moses and the prince of Egypt, but Joseph, Joseph sets the stage for why the Israelites are there. But first we're going to wrap up just a couple of things with his dad, Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. And we see in Genesis that God continues to pass the promise that he had originally made to Abraham about using him and blessing him and blessing the world through him. He passes that on to Isaac, his son, who then passes it on to Jacob. And we see God himself speaking to Jacob and telling him, this promise is going to be yours as well. And Jacob ends up having 12 sons, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. And we, if you're very familiar with Uh, Old Testament history, the 12 tribes of Israel, you recognize that each of these sons becomes the head of a tribe of hundreds of thousands of people that by the time 400 years passes and we get to the beginning of the Exodus, there are literally millions of sons and daughters of Israel through these 12 children. And what we see as we kind of wrap up the life of Jacob a little bit is Hebrews tells us that by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, and he worshipped leaning on the top of his staff. That Jacob, he lives this dynamic life that's recorded in Genesis, but the thing that Hebrews tells us is most important about him and his faith is that he passed on the blessing that he had received. He passed on this blessing and this purpose that We are the people of God. God will use us to bless the whole world. And ultimately, we see, if we keep paying attention over these next few months, that Jesus is the result of this promise. But today, we're going to look at one of uh, Jacob's sons. His name was Joseph. And Jacob, of those 12 sons, Israel of those 12 sons, Joseph is probably the most prominent of those twelve sons in the Genesis history, so in Genesis chapter twenty-seven, or chapter thirty-seven, excuse me, it begins like this. It says, "Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. These are the family records of Jacob. At seventeen years of age, Joseph tended sheep with his brothers. The young man was working with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought a bad report about them." To their father. So we're introduced to Joseph. We've been told that Jacob has him as a son, and now we're being given the beginning details as we begin to interact with him. So it's important to remember a couple of things. Number one, that at the beginning of our story, Joseph is 17. Now, why is this significant? Because it's going to mark the passage of time as we see throughout the story in Genesis. His age highlighted a couple more times, and so we understand what kind of time frame all of this unfolds in. And not only that, but we see that Joseph was working with his, his brothers as a shepherd, and he was a tattletale. So he went and told daddy that his brothers were not behaving rightly. And, and so we, we get this picture of who he is, this 17-year-old, maybe a bit of a know-it-all, who likes to tell on his brothers. Now, it doesn't say that he was incorrect in reporting their bad behavior. It just says that's what he did. And, and then it goes on to say this in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 37. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than his other sons because Joseph was a son born to him in his old age, and he made a long-sleeved robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not bring themselves to speak peaceably to him. So we're introduced to a little bit more about Joseph. Now, remember, who is Israel? What's the other name we've known him by? Jacob. So when we see in verses 1 and 2 that we are told about the sons of Jacob, and then it tells us that Israel loved Joseph, well, it's the same man. These two names get used interchangeably throughout the rest of his story. But then we understand later on, when we talk about the children of Israel, that they are all the descendants of Jacob. So Israel loved Joseph more than his other sons, because Joseph was a son born to him in his old age. And if you remember, Joseph is the last of the sons born to him while he's working for his uncle Laban. And so Joseph is born. He's, uh, Jacob, Israel, is a little bit older uh, among the last of his sons. And Jacob, Israel, loves Joseph the most. And he gives him a long-sleeved robe, is what my translation says. Others of your translations, uh, we remember this more as the coat of many colors, right? But what is significant about this coat? Well... Scholars have really struggled with what made this coat important, and uh, some, you know, we think of maybe like Donny Osmond and 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 Joseph and the Technicolor Dream Coat and stuff, and think, well, it was because it was flashy, right? I mean, no, no, nah, 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 I've got a coat and you don't. Um, and so, but but really, this this coat is not just a flashy coat, but it it's now scholars look back at it and they think that what Israel gave Joseph was akin to a chieftain's robe. So what was happening here is Israel was telling all of his other sons, Joseph is going to be in charge when I'm gone. And, and they look at this, this robe, they look at this coat, and it frustrates him or them. They hate him. They couldn't even speak kind things to him because their father favored him so much and was showing everyone that he wanted Joseph to be in charge by giving him this amazing long-sleeved robe or mini-colored coat. A chieftain's robe. The one who would rule. And so it helps us to understand a little bit, first of all, what Joseph maybe thought of himself. And then why his brothers took such issue with him. He is the 11th son in line. And so he's got... 10 older brothers who all would prefer that they be in charge, especially the firstborn, Reuben. He thinks he's the man and should be in charge of everything. And what happens is Israel says, no, I think I like Joseph better than all of you, and I'm going to put him in charge when I die. So this, we begin to understand the mindset of his his brothers. And and then Joseph has a couple of dreams in verses 5 through 11. The first dream he has is that he and his brothers are out gathering the harvest into sheaves and they bring them together. And then in this first dream, all of his brother's sheaves bow to his sheaf. So it's a picture of God giving him a dream that he will be ultimately be in charge of all of his brothers. And then his second dream here in this passage, he has a second dream and all the sun, the moon and 11 stars bow down to him. And so he he has another dream tells everybody about it everybody about it how he's going to be the big dog how everybody is going to come and submit themselves to him and so it's it's two different dreams given by God of him ruling over or being in authority over not just his brothers but also his his parents or his father's wives ultimately because his mother has passed away at this point and so Joseph not only has been given authority by his father there on earth, given a chieftain's robe that made all his brothers jealous, but now Joseph is having dreams about how all of his brothers and even his father will be submissive to him, will be uh, under his authority. And so everybody kind of looks at Joseph and like, what a presumptuous little punk. How is it, Joseph, that you think you're that important? How is it that you think you're that special? And so it it moves on the story. It proceeds in chapter 37. And I'm just going to cover the story and tell it to you. You can look and verify that I'm telling you the right story if you'd like, by all means. But what happens is Joseph and his brothers, they're out in the wilderness. They're tending sheep. His brothers concoct a plan. They think maybe they'll kill him. But then one of them says, hey, no, let's do this instead. Let's throw him into a well. Um, It wasn't uncommon for there to be pits dug for water to collect. And so they throw him into a cistern. And then all of a sudden, they see slavers coming by. Ishmaelite slavers coming by. And so they end up selling Joseph to the Ishmaelite slavers. And then to cover up the fact that he's gone as a slave, they take his coat, they kill a goat, they spread the goat's blood all over it. And they take it back to dad and say, Dad, look what a lion did to Joseph. Oh my goodness, isn't this terrible? Israel, Jacob, he's, he's just distraught. He's heartbroken over the loss of his favorite son. And the other brothers, they all feel like they've gotten away with something. Now, it happens that these Ishmaelite slavers, they take Joseph to Egypt and they sell him to be a slave in the household of a man named Potiphar who was a prominent official in Egypt. And so here in Potiphar's household, Jacob or excuse me, Joseph begins to make a life for himself. He begins to serve Potiphar and ultimately he and Potiphar both are blessed. In fact, here's what scripture tells us. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made everything he did successful, Potiphar puts Joseph in charge of his whole household and and gives him authority over everything. Why? Because Joseph was blessed by God and God made everything he did successful. Now, I want you to remember that phrase because it is so important for us to understand where Joseph's success will ultimately come from. It does not come from Joseph himself. Now, we're going to see that Joseph is a, an honorable man, that Joseph is a man who avoids sin and seeks to, to glorify God in all that he does. But his success does not come From his power of positive thinking. It doesn't come from his ability to find the the positive solution and make the most of it. His success, beginning to end, is birthed from the power of God himself and God alone. And so we need to understand, as we talk about Joseph, these dreams he's been given, this, this favor he's been given in the past... That was a gift from God. That was God blessing him. The fact that his brothers didn't manage to kill him, but instead sent him off as a slave was a blessing from God. And now in Potiphar's household, as a slave, everything he does is blessed. Everything he does is successful because of God. And now he's in charge of all of Potiphar's household. But Potiphar has a wife. And this wife takes a liking to Joseph. And she, well, I I guess you could say she propositions him. That's the easy way to say it. Here's what happens. After some time, his master's wife looked longingly at Joseph and said, Sleep with me. It wasn't just a nap, right? So um, we see that, that Potiphar's wife desires Joseph. Now, we might all go, oh, that's kind of weird. Why why would a a woman of status want a slave? And what we understand from Egyptian culture and history is this was not uncommon for the wife of an official or a a wife who had slaves to to take advantage of those slaves for her own pleasure. And so this is, is not something that's like out of the blue uncommon, but it is something that Joseph responds to In a way that is not pleasing to Potiphar's wife. Because here's what he says to her in response. No one in this house is greater than I am. Now a lot of us in today's culture. We would think that would quickly be followed with. So let's do whatever we want. Because we can get away with it. But Joseph says no one in this house is greater than I am. He has withheld nothing from me except you. Because you are his wife. So how could I do this immense evil? And how could I sin against God? In his heart, in, in what he had been taught, and how he had been raised up, in his interactions with the one true God, Yahweh, Joseph understood that this was wrong. And he knew he could neither sin against Potiphar, his master, nor could he sin against his God. And he refused... Potiphar's wife's advances. And it it follows that she makes up a story about how he tried to assault her because she was so offended that he refused her. Potiphar hears this this story and ends up sending Joseph to prison. So he goes from a place of prominence in the household of a, a leader in Egypt to now all of a sudden because of Nothing he did wrong, he's in prison. And he's stuck in prison in chapter 39, verses 20 through 23. But what's interesting and amazing and so cool about Joseph in prison is that he doesn't begin to just, you know, sit down and play his harmonica, you know, and just be like, oh, whoa, is me. Uh, you know, I got the blues. I'm just, everything's wrong, everything's terrible. How could God do this to me? But instead, we see Joseph taking once again and being an honorable man. Being a man who is faithful to God. Being a man who does the best that he can in the circumstances he finds himself. And so, he goes from, you know, the favorite of his father to a slave. He goes from slave to the master of a household household. And he goes from master of a household to prisoner. And yet, he remains faithful. And so, while he's in prison, what happens is Joseph's faithfulness results in him being given authority. And we see why. The warden did not bother bother with anything under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And the Lord made everything that he did successful. Who made Joseph's life successful? The Lord. It was the hand of God that brought Joseph success. Now, his faithfulness made it possible for God to bless him with successfulness. And he could have instead just gotten caught in a cycle of lament, in a cycle of woe is me, in a cycle of why is this happening to me, God? But he remained faithful and God made him successful. He continued to be a man of character, a man of honor, a man of faithfulness in response to the continuing loss of privilege and hope and life. Everything going wrong around him. Joseph stays faithful and keeps turning to God. And God blesses him. Now, while he's in prison, Joseph has an opportunity to interpret some dreams. Uh, They're in the prison, all of a sudden shows up one day Pharaoh's baker and Pharaoh's cupbearer. Two men who would have been fairly important in the household of pharaoh the king and they both have dreams after having been thrown in prison and it was common in this day and age especially to take and interpret dreams in order to understand what those dreams meant and to understand them as a a uh, revelation from god for that person in that specific situation so both the baker and the cupbearer they come to Joseph and they said, We had dreams, but there is no one to interpret them. So Joseph, who is in charge of the whole prison, with these two prominent prisoners that he is taking care of, he says to them, Don't interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. And so the cupbearer and the baker they go on to tell Joseph their dreams. The, the, the uh, cup bearer has a dream of of interactions with Pharaoh and, 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 and so does the baker. But what's interesting is both of them coming looking for comfort, looking for answers to their dreams. And Joseph goes ahead and interprets their dreams. And he ends up telling the cupbearer bearer that everything's going to go well for him. He's going to be restored to his position. And he tells the baker the interpretation of his dream is that he's going to hang... By his neck. Wait a minute. I, I liked his interpretation better. Can I get one more like him? So we see these two dreams. We, they're, they're told, they're, they're interpreted. And then Joseph asks the cupbearer for one simple favor. When all goes well for you, remember that I was with you. Please show kindness to me by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. Joseph, he doesn't say, look, you know, in return, you must. He just, he, he requests a simple request. Please, if things go well for you, would you let Pharaoh know I'm here? That I'm somebody who's got some value to his kingdom. I'm somebody he can use. I'm somebody who's, who's got some, some, some favor from the one true God. Can you just remember me when things go well for you, Mr. Cupbearer? Well, what happens is Pharaoh restored the chief cupbearer to his position as cupbearer, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But Pharaoh hanged the chief baker, just as Joseph had explained to them. So Joseph's interpretations of their dream, dreams that comes to pass, and the one request that Joseph has, cupbearer, please remember me when you get back in Pharaoh's presence. Let him know I'm here. Let him know I can I can help him out if he'll just get me out of here. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Isn't that just normal? You know, you help somebody back up into their position of of uh, <clears throat> power and they forget all about you. Um, I don't know any famous people, but if I did, I'd probably try and leverage that. You know, uh, you know how it is, right? So here, the cupbearer completely forgets about Joseph. Now, what happens next in chapter 42 is what sets the stage, excuse me, chapter 41, is what sets the stage for the future. Because all of a sudden, Pharaoh has a dream. And chapter 41, verse 1, tells us that at the end of, of the two years, at the end of two years, Pharaoh had a dream. So that means that Joseph spent another two years in prison, serving as the, the, the leader of the prison, taking care of things for the warden, serving faithfully, not trying to send a message to the cupbearer, hey dude, remember when I told you your dream and how it would turn out good for you? Can you help me out? But instead, he serves faithfully for two years. And at the end of those two years, Pharaoh has a dream. And what is Pharaoh's dream according to chapter 41? Well, it tells us that Pharaoh has a dream that no one else can interpret. And he has a dream that there are seven healthy cows that come up out of the Egypt, or out of the Nile. Out of the Egypt? Out of the Nile in Egypt, the Nile River. And and then all of a sudden, seven unhealthy, scrawny cows come up out and eat the seven healthy ones. And the unhealthy ones show no sign of having eaten the others. There's a second part to his dream in which seven heads of grain come up and they're full and they're rich and they're beautiful. And then seven scraggly heads of grain come up and and consume the good ones. And so Pharaoh has this dream of the, the scraggly, the dilapidated, the unhealthy consuming that which is healthy. And no one can interpret it. He calls... Out for help, and then the cupbearer all of a sudden remembers, oh yeah, there was this guy in prison when you sent me there, who interpreted my dream. Maybe he could do it for you as well. And so Pharaoh sends for Joseph. And Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream and makes it clear that this dream is predicting, it's given from God that there will be seven years of famine, or excuse me, seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. And then Joseph says, if you were wise, Pharaoh, you would take and find somebody to put in charge of stuff and stock up in the seven years of plenty and then manage the dispersal of goods in the seven years of famine. So Pharaoh says to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one as discerning and wise as you are. You will be over my house and all my people will obey your commands. Only I as king will be greater than you. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, see, I am placing you over all the land of Egypt. Do you see how this is progressing? Joseph, the favored son who's thrown in a pit and sold as a slave. He's faithful to God and he's faithful and honorable in serving and doing his best regardless of the circumstances. And in Potiphar's house, he's exalted to the head of the household only to be falsely accused by Potiphar's wife and thrown into prison. He serves in prison and he's faithful and eventually the warden recognizes that God is at work through him. And he's exalted to leader over the the prison And, and, and yet he has to wait years and is forgotten in that role and now he is raised up in just a few moments to being second in command in all of egypt why because pharaoh looks at him and says i see in you something i see in no one else that god is at work in your life and giving you wisdom and discernment i'm putting you in charge Because we have seven years of plenty coming, but I know that at the end of those seven years, there will be seven years of famine. And nobody else can do this job but you, Joseph. I want you to administrate the food here in Egypt. I want you to be the one who collects food for the seven years of plenty and then disperses it in the seven years of famine. And so God is at work in the life of Joseph And he puts him, not just in charge of his brothers and father and mother, but instead over all of Egypt, God puts Joseph in charge. Not because there was anything special about Joseph, save for the fact that he continued to be faithful and walk with God. He continued to trust in God's hand, no matter how dire the circumstances got he kept turning to God. Now, here's why it was important to remember. How, was jo- How old was Joseph in the beginning of the story? 17. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Joseph left Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout the land of Egypt. So anybody who's good at math, he's 30 when things finally work out, right? He was 17 when the story started. How many years... Elapsed before Jesus, before Joseph rises to prominence. 13, 906, Ed. Thank you, Ed. Ed, what do you do for a living again? Yeah, insurance adjuster. That's. Do you guys make up numbers like pastors do? Is that. 13 years. 13 years. Joseph has this life. Of ups and downs before God finally brings him to the place that he had intended for him. Thirteen years, he had had dreams of being somebody special that God would use, and he has to walk through slavery, being sold by his own brothers, being wrongly accused, being in prison and forgotten. Thirteen years it takes for the dreams that God had given Joseph to begin to really come to pass. So Joseph administrates and takes good care of the land of Egypt over these seven years of plenty. He he collects a, a percentage of all of this abundance of grain that God has blessed them with, and he stores it away. And he keeps track of it and and does a great job setting the stage for the seven years of famine to come. And and during these seven years, at the very beginning, he's given a wife and her name is Asenath. She's a a prominent Egyptian woman, the the daughter of of a priest. And in these seven years, he has two sons. Two sons and and they have names that, that remind him of his past. Manasseh. Which means that God has changed everything so that I can forget the pain of the past. Now, if you wonder, did Joseph suffer in those 13 years? Yes. To the extent that when he is finally blessed, he names his first child forget because he he says, finally, I can let go of everything that I went through and know that God has blessed me. I can know that it was all worth it. I can know that those thirteen years were not wasted, and yet I can push them aside and move forward into what God has promised. And his second son, he, son he names Ephraim, which means fruitful. Finally, my my life is producing fruit. Finally, my life has meaning and purpose, and it's taken these thirteen years. But thank you, God. That you have finally brought to pass just a glimpse of what you've promised. So after the seven years of plenty, it begins the seven years of famine. And in the seven years of famine, chapter 41, verse 57 says that every land came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain for the famine was severe in every land. And so what happens is that not only is it severe in Egypt and the immediate surrounding areas, but it's also just north of Egypt in Canaan, where Joseph's brothers and father and family live. The famine is severe. And so Joseph's brothers end up coming to Egypt in order to buy grain from him. And so they travel to Egypt, they, they bring all of the, the money that would be necessary, and they actually, over the course of uh, time, make two different trips to Egypt. The first trip, they all go down. Joseph knows who they are, but they don't know who he is. And so in, in, in order to try and get some leverage on them, and to see if they're the same men as sold him into slavery, he begins to test them a little bit accuses them of being spies, says, "I refuse to sell grain to you because you're all spies from another land. Come to destroy Egypt." And they're like, "No, no, no, we're really just just hungry men. And we really just want grain for our family." So he agrees to sell them grain, but they would have to prove who they are by bringing back their youngest brother, Benjamin, who happened to be from the same mother as Joseph, Rachel. And so in order to make sure that they bring Benjamin back, eventually he holds one of his other brothers, Simeon. But not only does he send the other brothers back with grain, he sends them back with all the silver. So they get about halfway home. They open their bags of grain like, yeah, we got grain. And they see on top of their bags of grain, all the silver that was supposed to go to pay for their grain. And they freak out. They're like, oh, no. A huge mistake has been made. How can we ever go back? Now Simeon's in prison in Egypt, and we're all going to starve to death eventually. You know, they make a second trip eventually. And, and they, they know that they have to bring their youngest brother, Benjamin. And this breaks Israel's heart. He is so f- afraid of losing not just his son, Joseph, but also his son, Benjamin, from his favorite wife. But they take Benjamin down and, and Joseph receives him. They also take twice the silver to pay back for the first time and then buy more grain. And Joseph tests them again to see if they have changed. And it ends up that, that Judah offers himself as the, the sacrificial lamb, if you will, for, for their brother Benjamin who's accused of, of stealing from Egypt. And at this point, Joseph can't take it anymore. He breaks down and says, hey, guys, it's me. <laughs> Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is dad still alive? He was getting a little old when I left. It's been a few years. In fact, 13 plus seven. It's been a few years, plus two more, 22 years since I've seen dad. Is he still alive? But it's me. It's Joseph. Joseph. But they could not answer him because they were terrified in his presence. Can you imagine being all of a sudden face to face with the brother that you threw in a pit, sold as a slave, pretended to be dead? And now he is the most powerful person in the greatest nation in the world other than Pharaoh himself. There's a reason to be afraid. Then Joseph said to his brothers, please. Come near me. And they came near. I am Joseph, your brother, he said. The one you sold into Egypt. So Joseph just has to let his brothers know, I'm here. This is me. I'm Joseph. And then he tells them a little bit later, Don't be angry. Don't be grieved with yourselves for selling me here. Because God sent me ahead of you. To preserve life. Joseph has this wisdom. And this discernment. And he has this viewpoint. And he looks at his brothers and he says. I don't want you to even worry about what you did. Because it was always God's plan. To send me here. To save your life. And the life of so many others. It wasn't his brothers who did it to him. It was God. And God's plan from the very beginning, from the first day when they were jealous to the day they arrived the second time and got, were getting grain and He reveals Himself, it was always God's plan. The good, the bad, the slavery, the exaltation, the false accusations, the time in prison, it was all God's plan to save the lives of others. Being forgotten for years and, and then finally being raised up to prominence It wasn't Joseph, it wasn't his brothers, it was God who did all that to save lives. Now, ultimately, Israel and all of his children make their way down into Egypt to live there in the land of Goshen. And this is what sets the stage for the book of Exodus. And and we can see that this is a fulfillment, of prophecy that God had given to Abram in Genesis 15. The Lord said to Abram, Know this for certain your offspring will be resident aliens for 400 years in a land that does not belong to them and will be enslaved and oppressed. However, I will judge the nation they serve, and afterward they will go out with many possessions. We see that God's promises are sure. We see that the prophecies given to us in Scripture will come to pass without a doubt. And so here, Israel. Jacob and all of his children, about 72 of them total, go down to Egypt to live there in the land of Goshen. And it sets the stage for the fulfillment of this prophecy because they're going to become slaves over the course of 400 years. And then God will rescue them through his servant Moses, who we'll talk about in a couple of weeks. But after the Israelites moved to Egypt and Joseph is kind of hanging out with his brothers Israel dies and they're really freaked out about what Joseph is going to do now that dad's dead and dad can't protect him. And Joseph calls him in and he says this to them in chapter 50, verse 20. You planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. So when we look at this whole up and down life of Joseph. What we have to understand is the same thing that Joseph himself understood. Is that when we look at the the actions of the people around us and the evil that people plan for us and against us. That even in that, it is God's plan to bring about his good over time. And this is a hard thing to wrap our heads around as Christians because we know that God is good. And we tend to think that what that means is that everything that he gives and allows into our life will always be rosy and perfect. But that is not the case. Because I, I got to tell you uh, just We'll hash this out a little bit if you need to, but I got being sold into slavery by your own family doesn't feel rosy to me. Rising to prominence and being falsely accused for a crime you did not commit and thrown into prison for it doesn't feel like lollipops and sunshine to me. Being forgotten in prison by people who pledged to remember you doesn't feel so good, does it? doesn't sound like it's just happiness and and hooray. And yet all of those things that were plans for evil become and are from the very beginning God's plan for good. We get to the end of Joseph's life and here's how hopeful he is about the promises of God. So Joseph made the sons of Israel take an oath. When God comes to your aid, you are to carry my bones up from here. Joseph believed at the end of his life so firmly in the promises of God. He says, one day after I'm dead, gone and nothing but a pile of bones, God is going to lead you back to where you belong. And I want you to take my bones up and bury me with our ancestors. In fact, Hebrews chapter 11 says, by faith, Joseph, as he was nearing the end of his life, mentioned the exodus of the Israelites and gave instructions concerning his bones. Out of all of Joseph's life, these ups and downs and his faithfulness through all of it, the thing that scripture says is most important about Joseph is that he believed the promises of God even as he got to the end of his life. He still trusted in the hand of God. He looked back through all of it and said, all of that was of God and I look forward to what God is going to do and I know it's going to be good, so take me home one day. Take my bones home one day. When that day arrives, we read later in Exodus one of the things that the Israelites take with them when they leave Egypt are the bones of Joseph, that they might bury him in Canaan. Now, what is likely the most important thing for you to be able to wrap your head around in all of the story of Joseph is this one verse You planned evil against me, God planned it for good. To bring about the present result. The survival of many people. Sometimes we buy into pop culture Christianity way too much. And we look and say, bad things happen, but maybe God can make something good of it. Have you ever been told that? Have you ever felt that? that maybe, maybe God's big enough, he can take and make something good of it. And we, we actually, we sit around in times of, of hurt and we try and figure out what God might be able to do with it, don't we? We go, well, well, maybe God can use that horrible loss to bring other people to Jesus. And that's true. But what we're doing is we're treating God as though he's always playing catch-up. He looks around the world and goes, oh no, there's evil. What am I going to do? How can I respond? How can I make this better? And what Joseph reveals to us is that the very things that we look at flowing from mankind and we say, that's evil, that's terrible. Why Why would God let that happen? It's part of God's plan to bring about something good. Not God playing catch up, but God's plan to make something good. Why was Joseph sold into slavery? To bring about the good that God had already planned. That was part of God's plan for good. Why was Joseph falsely accused? And thrown into prison was God's plan to get him where he needed him to be. Why was Joseph forgotten and left to rot for those years in prison? It was part of God's plan. It was part of what it was going to take to get Joseph into the place God wanted him to be to accomplish the work that needed to be accomplished. We see this not just in the life of Joseph. We, we, we see this, this, this dichotomy, this, this, this fight between man's plans and, and God's plans all throughout Scripture. But we can see it in the life of Joseph most prominently here in the Old Testament. So what was the plan? What was man's plans? We could just kind of run through the plans of man real fast. We can see that the brothers, they just wanted to get rid of Joseph. Potiphar's wife, she just wanted Joseph. The warden wanted to use Joseph for his own benefits. The cupbearer and the baker, they wanted Joseph to make them feel better. Pharaoh really was just looking for someone to be competent around him. This is what people planned. But what did God plan? What was God's plan in all of this? The survival of many people who would ultimately result in the provision of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Who wouldn't just give us bread, but would give us the bread from heaven, His very body. And so we see that Joseph's suffering was part of God's plan to bring your redemption through Jesus Christ. And, and when we have this big picture, it helps us to understand our own lives and our own suffering and to be able to, to not fall prey to the woe is me and sing the, the job loss, the home loss, the prison blues, the car broke down. You know, how could this happen to me? But instead to say, God, in all of this, I trust you. It is your plan and I'm not going to try and figure out what you're doing here. And I'm not going to try and nail it down, but what I am going to do is trust that as mankind and Satan plans evil against me, that very same plan is good in your hands. And you're going to you're going to Plan this out. The very same circumstances in Joseph's life. They were counted as evil when planned by man. Yet the very same things are good when we consider the plans of God. It wasn't that God was trying to. Oh, I got to make something good out of this. It was. That's what God wanted. And that was his plan. And Joseph says. You did it. But God planned it. You, You did evil against me. But God, His whole plan the whole time was to bring about good. We see it reflected in other other passages in Scripture. We see it that these very things we see as evil perpetrated by man are the things God has planned to bring about the good of His people. Mark ten forty five. Jesus walking the earth, He says to His disciples, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many, Jesus the whole time knew that the plan of God wasn't for him to stand up in the temple and say, All right, starting my ministry, everybody watch TV and you know, make things great. It is instead, I am here to die. And what you would consider evil is the ultimate good according to the plans of the Father. What you would consider loss is the ultimate in providing. A ransom for many. In Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 24, Peter is preaching to the people in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And he says this, Fellow Israelites, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, You used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. Peter says here very clearly, you crucified Jesus and it was always God's perfect plan. You did it. You thought you were doing what you wanted when ultimately you were doing exactly what God needed to have happen to redeem mankind. Evil becomes good in God's hands. But with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for you. God's plan for redemption was always Jesus and his suffering. From the very beginning of time, His plan for redemption was always Jesus and His suffering. It was never some sort of, how can I figure this out? Oops, they didn't do the law. Oh, no, they didn't worship me as king. Instead, I got to do something else. It was always God's plan. God is so big. He is so perfect. His plans are so complete. We can trust in Him completely and perfectly. Romans 8, 28 and 29. It's a verse that a lot of us, when times are tough, we read it and we think, well, What this means is God will fix something eventually. But what it really says, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. It says God in everything has a plan for you and has a plan for good. And what is that good for you to grow in Christ likeness? Nothing is an accident. Nothing is God trying to play catch up. And oh no, I didn't see that coming. All of it is brought into life that good might come. Now I know this is so hard to wrap our head around sometimes. When we are suffering, it doesn't feel fair. When we are hurting, it doesn't feel right. But be Comforted that even in these things, the perfect plans of God are coming to pass. You are growing in Christ likeness, and there may even be something so big as the the saving of lives that will result from your suffering. You planned evil against me. What looked bad, what was terrible, Things I want to forget that you brought into my life, I've come to realize that every one of those things was God's plan to bring good. And it wasn't easy, and I'd like to forget it most days, but it was all God's plan. So, what can we do as Christians? A couple things. Understand that man's plans can be evil. And in fact, Now put it in parentheses because I think that no matter what, man's plans are evil. We like to perpetrate things that are selfish, self-centered, destructive, that bring us power and glory. But even as things fall down around you, even as you suffer and struggle, be like Joseph. Continue to live a life of obedience and eagerly, Expect and anticipate God to work in your life. In the darkest of times, in the bleakest of failings and frustrations, come to a point in your Christian walk where you say, I still will be obedient to what God has shown me. And I know, I know that He will make good of this. I don't know that I'll ever see it. I don't know that I'll ever experience it, but I know that he will, because it's his plan. He will make good. And then trust God's plan, ultimately. I've got to tell you how freeing it is to just take things as they come and say, this is in God's hands. And it's not maybe he'll do something with this, it's a certainty that he'll do something with it. And you might think, well, you're a pastor. You've probably lived a pretty charmed life. Well, I have. i got a great wife, wonderful kids. I have two cars that start fairly regularly in the morning. i got a house that doesn't leak when it rains. I have high-speed internet. I mean, come on, right? But you know what? I've lost loved ones like you. I've been unhealthy and had others around me who I love deeply who've been unhealthy. We've lost a home to foreclosure. We've lost a job to a surprise firing that came out of nowhere and was a stab in the back by friends. You see, I do live a charmed and blessed life. But there's been some real hurt in the midst of all of it. And yet, I strive daily and want to encourage you to do the same. Even in the darkest of moments, trust god's plan men are evil and will perpetrate evil but that should not be a discouragement because even in their evil plans god's plan is for good and so this morning if you're struggling if you're fighting i just want you to stand encouraged with the story of joseph if things feel charmed this week celebrate because you might be in a pit next week but when you are in a pit Be faithful. Be like Joseph and be eagerly expecting God's blessings. And no matter what, do your best to trust in God's plan. Because what the world, what Satan plans for evil against us, God in those very same circumstances, he's not playing catch up, but he has planned it for good to bring about The coming results. May you be encouraged and challenged by the life of Joseph. Join me in a word of prayer if you would. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for this time. We thank you for your love for us and how you have given so much. As we look at the life of Joseph, help us to understand that even the downs in our lives are part of your plan. And so may we not grow weary in well-doing, may we not grow weary in suffering for the sake of you and your gospel and your good news, but instead help us in every downturn to double down and be obedient and to wait eagerly, trusting in what you will do, knowing that your plans are ultimately for good that even these deep hurts and pains and frustrations of life today will be brought to become positives by your hand. more than anything, help us to trust you. When there's traffic and we're late, help us to trust your hand in that. When they don't have what we want on the menu, help us to trust your hand in that. When our loved ones are not well, help us to trust your plan in that. When our relationships are faltering and we're struggling, help us to trust your hand and to remain obedient and faithful to you and eagerly anticipate restoration. Above all else, may we trust in you. Because what we see is the trust results in good, and that good can impact not just ourselves, but thousands, hundreds of thousands, and millions of lives, as we see your good plans come to pass, Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the fact that you saw the suffering that was ahead of you, you willingly walked through it. Uh... surrendering this week, trust God's plan. You know, I forgot to mention, if you don't know what it means to be a Christian, if you want more answers about what it is to surrender your life to Jesus, be sure to talk to somebody. Whether it's your neighbor, ask them, hey, how do I become a Christian? How do I follow Christ? Or you come and find one of the elders or other leaders, we would love to answer your questions to know along with you with certainty. What life will look like for you in eternity if you only trust Him? So, God bless you guys this week as you trust Jesus and surrender. We'll see you next Sunday, and uh, we've got some stuff going on throughout the week. Of course, women's Bible study, student group Thursday, uh, women's Bible study Wednesday night, student group Thursday night, and, and then uh, we'll see you guys next Sunday. So, God bless you.